Spiritual Sword Media presents The Anchor of the Soul with Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi. Fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. And now, Mike Hickson. We're going to be looking today at 1 John 2, verses 15 through 17. We're going to be talking about the world today. Now looking at 1 John 2, verses 15 through 17, here's what the Apostle John said, Love not the world, or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Sometimes it's difficult for us as God's people to maintain a sense of purity in the world in which we live. I've wondered recently, is it possible that the world is choking out our Christianity? Has the world put a stranglehold on our love for the Lord? There is a strong need for those of us who belong to the body of Christ to maintain a sense of focus in the world in which we live. I want us to look for just a moment at what John says, and the first thing that I call your attention to has to do with the prohibition concerning the world, the charge. And John is very plain and very forthright, very concise, if you please, about the Christian's relationship to the world. Again, John said, do not love the world. Hard to misunderstand what he said. Why do you think John, writing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, encourages believers to not love the world? I think that there are a couple of reasons. Number one, because it's our duty. When I say it's our duty, certainly that encompasses a couple of things. First of all, it's our duty because we have been converted to Christ. Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, that we have escaped the corruptions that are in the world through lust. And then also in 2 Peter chapter 2 at verse 20, Peter in that context talks about somebody who has obeyed the gospel only to go back into the world. And so he writes, if after we have escaped the corruptions or the pollutions that are in the world through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you and I obeyed the gospel of Christ, literally, we gave up the world. We put to death that old way of life. Now the world, as John uses it, simply denotes the cosmos of iniquity. That sphere that is dominated by the devil. And so when we talk about our sense of duty, we need to understand that first and foremost, we've been converted to Christ. And everything that is Christian in nature is antagonistic to the Lord. And so we talk about our 
conversion to the Lord, but then also our consecration to the Lord, our consecration to Christ. When Paul wrote to the church at Colossae in Colossians chapter 3, he said, if then you have been risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now listen to him in verse, in verse 2. He said, set your affections on things above and not on things which are upon this earth. Paul understood that it would be very easy for those of us who belong to the body of Christ to accentuate or to focus on things which are earthly or material, worldly in nature. And so the admonition is to set our minds, to set our affections on things which are above. In Philippians chapter 3 at verse 20, the Apostle Paul talks about how our citizenship is in heaven, whence also we wait for a Savior. But he prefaced that by saying that there were some who minded earthly things. When you and I obeyed the gospel, first of all, there was a conversion and then there was a consecration. Sometimes we talk about how we are sanctified in Christ Jesus. The word sanctify means to be set apart. We have been set apart from the world unto God. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, Paul said, Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit which is in you, which you have from God. He writes, For you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And so, the prohibition, the charge concerning the world. Well, John said, do not love the world. And we said, one of the reasons that we are not to love the world, because it's our duty. But there's a second reason. And that is because of its dangers. There are certain intrinsic dangers associated with loving the world. Let me list for you three dangers associated with the world. Number one, the world will cause you to compromise your Christianity. Now, when Paul wrote to the saints in Rome, he said in Romans chapter 12 at verse 2, be not conformed to the world, but rather be transformed. What the world wants to do is literally to pour us into its mold, to make us think like it to act like it, to live like it. Now I said that the world will ultimately cause us to compromise our Christianity. I don't think it's something that happens overnight. But I do believe that over a period of time, what happens is we begin to make concessions in our, in our Christian lives. And before you know it, we have moved, spiritually speaking. Think about the influences at work in our world today. And think about how some of the things that have changed in our society have gone largely unnoticed. I think about the changes that have taken place just by way of television since I was a little boy growing up. There was a time on television that you didn't hear a lot of profanity. There wasn't all of the sexual innuendo that there is today. There wasn't the, the blatant profanity or blasphemous statements that 
are so prevalent by way of television some 25 or 30 years ago. But what happens is, over a period of time, erosion takes place. And that's what happens when it comes to our Christianity. I said just a moment ago that the world can affect our spiritual lives without us even knowing it. Sometimes individuals have moved, spiritually speaking, without even knowing it. One of the ways it's, it's reflected is we don't spend time reading the Bible. We're not meditating on the truth of God. We're not spending time in prayer. We're not faithful by way of coming to corporate worship or cor corporate Bible study. The world will cause you to compromise your Christianity. And maybe when you obeyed the gospel, there were certain things that were black and white, right and wrong, truth and error. But because of the influence of the world, your view now is, well, maybe that's a gray area. Maybe I can't really say whether or not that's right or wrong. Maybe I can't really say whether or not that's truth or error. That's how the world affects us and ultimately impedes our relationship to the Lord. There is a second thing the world will do. The world will not only compromise you, cause you to compromise your Christianity, it will choke out your Christianity. In Matthew chapter 13 at verse 22, Jesus talked about the four types of hearts upon which the Word of God would fall. And He said that there was one type represented, one type of heart represented by thorny soil. And he said, here, was, here is the person who receives the word of God, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the world. You ever seen somebody put in a stranglehold? I saw a guy on television the other night that let somebody put him in a stranglehold and do so for a period of time so that he became unconscious. Hard to imagine why somebody would want to do that, but he did. Well, that's what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 13. He's saying that the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, can encroach upon your spiritual life to the point it literally saps the life out of you. It chokes the life out of you. Now, look at, look at how the world operates. And think about what James said in James chapter 4. In James 4, verse 4, James said, Ye adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. There are two systems at work, God's system and the devil's system. Ultimately, God's system is going to win out. But there are a lot of people that embarked upon that Christian way of life only to allow the world to choke out their spirituality. There's a third thing the world will do. The world will not only cause you to compromise your Christianity, not only will it choke out your Christianity, it will corrupt your Christianity. You can't stay true to God and pure in, in heart, soul, and mind and affiliate yourself with the world. Now, over in 2 Peter chapter 2, 
Peter talks about those who have escaped the corruptions that are in the world through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But then he goes on to say, they are entangled therein and overcome. What happened? They went back into the world. The world ultimately recaptured them or reclaimed them. The world will corrupt your Christianity. As a matter of fact, James said in James chapter 1, verse 27, we are to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. Now look at the progression in, in the Scriptures. First of all, there is the spotting that occurs via the world. And then there is what is called the friendship of the world in James 4, verse 4. And then there is the love of the world. Now, just a moment ago, we looked at 2 Peter chapter 1, where Peter talks about those who have escaped the corruptions that are in the world through the gospel of Christ. The world will corrupt and corrode your Christianity. It will ultimately blind you to what is right and wrong. That's why John said, do not love the world. That's why Paul said, set your affections, set, set your affections on things above and not on things which are upon this world. Now, let me ask you to look at a second thing with me. First of all, there is the prohibition concerning the world. But secondly, John identifies or speaks of the pleasures of the world. And really here he's talking about the charm of the world. What you and I need to understand is that there, is a base, there, is, there are some basic ways that Satan appeals to us through the world. And so here's what John said. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now, how does Satan appeal to us today? Well, John said, through the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. What about the world? What about the charm of the world? When we talk about the world and its influences and its impact upon us, what is it that we need to understand about the world? Number one, we need to understand that the world is satanic. Here's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. He speaks of the devil and he said he is the God of this world. The world that we're talking about is that sphere, that spiritual sphere that is under the direction of the devil. It's dominated by the devil. And the devil is using the world to attack us, spiritually speaking. The world is satanic in nature. I see people that are members of the Lord's church. And they ought to know better. But you know what? They're out drinking. They're out dancing. They're out carousing. They're engaging in sexual immorality. Why? Because they have fallen prey to the devil. They are once again under his power. Now in Colossians chapter 1 verse 13, Paul talks about how those who have obeyed the gospel, 
They have been delivered out of the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. When you were in the world, you were under the domination of Satan. He was your master. When you obeyed the gospel, there was a change of ownership. Christ is now your master. The Bible talks about how we have been redeemed by Christ. He redeemed us by His blood. That was the purchase price of our salvation. When a slave was redeemed or bought, what happened? Well, there was a change of ownership. There was a change of masters. When you obeyed the gospel, what happened? There was a change of masters. The Lord, Jesus Christ, is now your master. So the appeal of the world... First of all, it's satanic. Number two, it is strategic. What you and I need to understand is the devil is very good at what he does. And the devil has some strategies that he employs to tantalize those of us who belong to the body of Christ. When Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, he said, Be strong in the Lord, in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles, some translations say, the schemings of the devil. Do you not think that the devil knows how to operate? Listen, the devil knows how to, to attack our points of weakness. He can exploit those. That's why Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, neither give place to the devil. You ever had somebody knock on your door? And you open the door, and what happens? Sometimes, maybe they put a foot inside the door. Listen, if, if the devil gets his foot in the door of your spiritual life, he's coming in. And that's exactly what Paul is saying. Neither give place to the devil. Do not, do not play with, with fire, as we say sometimes. When we talk about the strategy of the devil, well, he employs the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. That's exactly how he tempted Mother Eve. You can go back and read Genesis chapter 3. God had said they were not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The day they ate thereof, God said, you will surely die. And yet, Satan approached Mother Eve. He asked her about whether or not they could eat of the tree. And then the Bible tells us that when she saw that the tree was pleasant to the eyes, good for food, had the ability to make one wise, she took and ate thereof. How did Satan appeal to her? The lust of, of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Why, she thought she could be like God. Now Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 at verse 11 that we are not ignorant of the devices of Satan lest he gain advantage over us. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. What we need to do is understand how the devil works. Those who are in the military and those who train on a regular basis to defend our country, one of the things that they do, they know how the enemy operates. We're in a fight right now against terrorism. It's a whole different way of fighting. And yet, I can assure you that there are people in the Pentagon that understand how the enemy operates. They know how 
They know the tactics that the enemy will employ to defeat our country. How is it you and I as God's people are going to overcome the world? We have to understand the strategy of the devil. And so, when we talk about the appeal of the world, number one, it's satanic. Number two, it's strategic. And number three, it is subversive. What is it the devil is trying to do in your life and my life? He's trying to destroy my faith. He's trying to destroy the faith of our children and grandchildren. That's why Peter said, be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Do you not think that the devil knows what he's doing? I mean, look at what the devil has done by way of our, our world today. Think about how many young people have been indoctrinated in the theory of evolution today. If you ask them, how did this world come into being? Well, they'll say, it evolved. Or maybe we're the products of some type of cataclysmic explosion. Think about how the devil has indoctrinated people in our society to believe that human life is not sacred. I mean, some 40 million abortions attest to that fact. Or we see individuals who will shoot another person for something petty. Why? Because people no longer believe in the sanctity of life. Look at what the devil has done to appeal to the human family through drugs and alcohol. I mean, have you seen some of the people who are literally enslaved to chemical substances and to alcohol? Have you seen some of the people whose lives have been turned upside down, the marriages that have come apart, the heartache that has wrecked havoc in the lives of children because of the world and what the devil has done to our world? That's why Peter said, be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. What we need to understand is the devil is on a mission. And that mission is to literally destroy our eternal soul in a devil's hell. And so, the appeal of the world is satanic, is strategic, and it is subversive. Number three, what are the possibilities are there possibilities in and out of the world? There is a contrast that John sets forth. Look at verse 17. Here's what John said. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Here's what you and I need to understand. One system is passing away. One system is ephemeral in nature. And by that I simply mean it's transitory. It is temporary. It's not going to be here forever. There are a lot of people in our world today, they are, they are hooking their wagons, so to speak, to the things of this world. And I'm here to tell you, this world, as John said, is passing away. It's not going to be here forever. And let me tell you this. Not only is the world not here forever, you can't take it with you. Whatever you accumulate in this life, you are but a steward of that. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, that we are to be stewards of that which we possess. A faithful steward. Now Paul also put it like this. 
We brought nothing into this world. It is certain we can carry nothing out. Whatever you came into this world with is what you're going to leave with. What was that? Nothing. Go to the cemetery sometime. And just casually stroll through the cemetery and begin reading the names on the markers. I suspect that there, there are any number of cemeteries all across this city filled with human corpses that at one time had large bank accounts, beautiful homes, nice clothes, prominent reputations, and the list goes on and on. But you know what? They don't have any of that now. Some years ago, I had the opportunity to visit Graceland. I'd always known that Elvis Presley was a very famous person. But for some reason or another, it never really hit me just how internationally, internationally acclaimed he was until I visited Graceland. And I began to walk through his home and notice all of the, all of the great accomplishments he had made and all of the personal possessions that, that he had enjoyed in this lifetime. And then I stepped out back and amidst all of the things that he enjoyed in this life, in the backyard are three graves. His grave and his mom and daddy's. How much did they take with them? Not one thing. Listen, this world is passing away. If you hook your wagon to this world, you are in for a major surprise. Because as John said, this world is passing away. One system is passing away and one system is permanent. And by that, I mean one system is eternal. There's one system that is ephemeral, that is, it's temporary. There's one system that is eternal. Now, John said, he who does the will of God abides forever. Contrast that with verse 15 when he said, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What is it, what is it the Lord, that the Lord wants from us? He wants us to put our faith and trust in him. To live in such a way so that one day we can go home to be with him. It's a life of faith. It's a life of trust. It's a life of obedience. There are a lot of people in the Lord's church that materially speaking, they don't have a lot. But I can tell you this. Spiritually speaking, they're wealthy. John wrote about a man in 3 John verses 1 and 2. His name was Gaius. And he said, Beloved, I wish or pray above all things that you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Let me ask you this question. Are you living for that system that is permanent? Those who live for God will ultimately be with Him in heaven. Bear in mind that John the Apostle is the one who recorded the words of Jesus. 
When Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Here's the question. Has the world put a stranglehold on your Christianity? I mean, be honest. Are you living for the Lord, or are you living for the world? Only one system is going to last forever. My encouragement, live for the Lord. It may be the case that you're here this morning, you're not a Christian. What would you need to do? Well, Peter said on Pentecost Day, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. When you do that, the Lord will add you to the church, Acts 2 verse 47. It is in the church that every spiritual blessing resides. Ephesians 1 verse 3. Those who are faithful members of the church have the promise of life eternal because Christ is their Savior, Ephesians 5, verse 23. Maybe you're here today, you're not faithful. Maybe the world has overtaken you. Maybe you've gone back into the world. Now, the beauty of that is you can come out today. Maybe you need to ask for the prayers of the church. We'd be happy to pray with you and for you. The assurance is God will abundantly part. John said if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again and to see video archives, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. rock which cannot move Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love.